Welcome to Smart Branding, a podcast dedicated to branding, naming, and domain names. I'm Tatiana Bono, and with my guests, we try to help you create and grow strong, memorable, and meaningful brands online. I believe time is one of our most precious assets, and so I want to thank you in advance if you decide to spend the next 30 minutes with us. I promise to do my best to make those worth it. Let's go. So today, my guest is James. How do I pronounce your surname? James Slusser and the company of Slusser, Kurkuma. Yeah, Kurkuma, I get. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so James is an entrepreneur with over 25 years of experience, both as a leader and a consultant for marketing, retail, publishing companies across the globe. His experience covers industries like telecommunication, financial services, automotive, agriculture, uh, pharma, and others. And presently, he is running Kurkuma where he helps startups in the Web3 and crypto space with their marketing needs. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you. So let's start with a bit of a background. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how your journey led you to Kurkuma. Sure. So I have spent my entire career in some version of the web. I started with, I've worked through Web1, Web2, and Web3. I was sort of born and raised a finance guy. My first jobs out of college were purely financial roles. And then I moved into Web2 with the advent of e-commerce. I started off initially in, in a publishing house that were moving their products into the digital world. This was way back in 93 when people were using Mozilla <laughs> before anything was really happening. It was, but it was a super exciting time to be in the internet. With the advent of e-commerce, I worked in a variety of different industries, helping run their direct-to-consumer businesses, where, for example, I worked for a multi-channel retailer that had physical stores, which I had nothing to do with. And the direct-to-consumer side was catalog and web, and I helped out with the website. Um, I worked in a bunch of different industries in that e-commerce space in roles from, and my, my role evolved from finance into the operation side of things, and then ultimately into the marketing side of things. I had a stint in a sales side of that because I wanted to add that skill to my own background. And then in 20, and I've, I've had the luck and pleasure of living and working all over the world. I am an American, but I've worked in Europe. I've lived in Asia. And in 2016, I think, um, I was living in Hong Kong at the time. I had a successful career and I actually had planned on retiring at that time. And so the, the big plan was to spend half the year in the US and half the year just traveling the world. But I needed something to do to keep me busy. And so I taught myself how to develop software. I taught myself iOS for Apple. And that initially mm -hmm. is how Kurkuma was born. So I was planning on just building apps. Um, I had, I always have old colleagues contact me about various consulting gigs for marketing or operations. And if they fall into my lap, great. I'm happy to do it, but I don't really chase that work. So for the next, I don't know, five years or so, I happily just built iOS apps and I had a little client list and that kept me perfectly happy. At the same time, I was doing cryptocurrency trading personally for my own pleasure. I learned quite a bit about that. And one of the companies that I worked with asked me to be an instructor in cryptocurrency trading. So I was doing that. And then my passion for software development and cryptocurrency trading sort of overlapped, and I decided to learn how to code in Web3. That's a relatively new phenomenon, as most people know. So really, it's like a maximum of two years, if I had to say, where I started learning how to code in Web3. And so now I'm firmly in the land of a Web3 software developer and instructor. So I do freelance software development work for projects that are interesting to me, but I also teach 
Web3 software development because there's a gigantic need right now. And I think less than 5% of the world's Web2 software developers know how to code in Web3. And mm. so I'm helping them move into that world as well. Wonderful. And how, without going into much technicalities, because like obviously not our all of our audience is uh, consists of programmers, sure. but how... Like, I don't know if we can say time, obviously that's very relative because everybody works and understands at a different pace, but like, would you advise people to move into coding for Web3 and how, like, who would be suitable for that? And, and generally, what's your, what's your advice, on, advice on that for people who are, obviously there are a lot of coders, a lot of programmers. Of course. My, my general take on an individual's knowledge of software development is I think everyone at a baseline should just have some basic understanding of how software development works. Mm. For example, when I was learning iOS, maybe your audience is aware of this or not, but children as young as six years old are being exposed to software development concepts in the curriculum mm. of their schools. And if a six-year-old can learn how to do it, like anybody can learn how to do it. <laughs> I'm not saying everybody should be a software developer. I'm saying they should understand the basic concepts because going forward, it's involved in virtually everything that we do. Now, mm. for those developers who are currently working in Web 2, and if they have an interest in Web 3, absolutely go into it because the the opportunities outweigh the I mean the opportunities outweigh the resources at the moment and there's a tremendous need. Do you have to do it? Of course not. It depends on your personal preference. You can absolutely continue doing what you're doing. But if you have remote interest in Web3, I personally think it's a very exciting and interesting space right now with mm. virtually unlimited opportunity. It's a good time. Mm. Yeah, that's not exciting. I have to say I've I've done some coding myself but like goes back I don't want to count but about 15 years or more ago and like i've built websites up i can still you know manage uh, like a, a database or, or create a basic website so or sure. kind of a piece of software like i don't do that for a living but it has absolutely i absolutely agree with you that everybody should learn at least some basic one because you know everything is is on the web now um, and even if you if you have a physical product, you would still be selling it and marketing it online. So you, you have to have some understanding or people would be expecting to interact with you and your services and your company via some sort of a web interface, be it on their phone or, uh, you know, on the computer or whatever. So absolutely in that respect, it's needed. But also I find coding, it teaches you so many things that are then applicable to just how you see things and how mm -hmm. you you understand how things work. Like uh, for myself personally, that was like um, patience, <laughs> 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 which was something that, you know, at the time I was really, really bad at. And I would like use, try to cut corners and, you know, oh, now I'm sure that will work that way and pile things up. And you know how that works. You know, you have those little breaks where, you know, you put one wrong and then like everything else falls afterwards right. and and you're trying to figure out which one did i put wrong like i didn't i don't know like today and absolutely yeah I, I completely agree with you on that yeah but for the purposes of your audience we're here to talk about branding and marketing mm. just to set the table like prior to my launch of kukuma um my roles were officially chief marketing officer and chief operating officer of the last i don't know four or five companies that i was with so i've got mm. i've got the experience under my belt mm. Absolutely. So yeah, talk, talk to me about Kurkuma and let's start with the name. It's a very uh, peculiar name you chose for, for the company. <laughs> so it's a pretty easy story. 
I had the pleasure of living and working in the Netherlands for a portion of my career, which was a really, it will always hold a very special place in my heart. And Kurkuma is just my poor pronunciation of the Dutch version of turmeric, the cooking spice. Mm. Outside of my professional life, I'm an avid cook. I really enjoy cooking. Mm. And turmeric, I love the spice. I love the flavor. It's the main spice in curries, if your audience is unaware. The colors can range from bright yellow to very deep orange. And I like a, I like a multisyllabic name for a brand. There's potential health benefits for turmeric, which helps me because I had some health challenges through the years. And it just reminds me of places that I have lived and enjoyed. And it seemed an appropriate moniker for my company's name. Mm. Sort of, uh, I have, a, I actually always include a link to why I named Kurkuma, why I named my company the way they did. Um, I have a link on my website describing that because mm. I think as an entrepreneur, you want to have a brand that is a little bit interesting and a little bit unique. I like that people don't know how to pronounce it. I like that people don't really know what it means. It sparks a story. It gives me a reason to talk a little bit more about the company. Mm. And on a personal level, I feel that I thrive in my personal and professional life. Like people, I believe that everybody has the capacity to do that. And I, I don't know, it just seemed to work for me. So. Mm. No, I completely agree with you. That, uh, and I love the fact I did notice that you have a link on your website explaining the name. And I, I think because I work with names and naming and like whenever there's a story about a brand or about a business, I'm always looking for, okay, what's, what's the name about? How did they come up with it? And I mean, crazy enough, not everyone, a lot of people, a lot of brands, a lot of entrepreneurs do. Uh, that they do talk about how they name their brand, why do they name it and, and make story out of it. And, and those stories are always so like, like you just did with your name. It, it's such a window. It's such an opportunity to talk about yourself and your business and, and present it as a um, very authentic living thing, as opposed exactly. to just, you know, we're all it's people behind the, the brand. So exactly. you, you want to tell a story. And like, I remember like there's so many bad brand names in the world which is unfortunate, <laughs> but like, because I've lived in tech for a long time, if you'll remember, like when the iPhone first came out, every brand started launching their names with lowercase I and then whatever. Right. And yeah, it's like, yeah, just yeah. Stop. Just think about where <laughs> you want, think about what you want to represent to the world and what mm. your brand is going to, what story your brand can tell and put some effort into it. That's mm. all. Yeah, absolutely. And also exactly. I mean, Okay, it's interesting. It's good to notice. It's good to keep up with, with stuff. But if we're talking about your brand name, unless you're planning for your company or your brand to live just in that time of that trend, because that's what they are, they're, they're attached to a certain period. Right. I don't see why and how would you be yeah, doing those I whatever as, exactly. as a given example, or what was it? There was another cloud. There was a cloud as well where right. you were talking about cloud, cloud something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or lab, lab as well. That was yeah. another one. I think also for your audience, it's also important to think about if your if your potential market is international, wherever you're based, you need to think about translation challenges because mm -hmm. anybody that has, has a degree in marketing, you, you read about the case studies of these nightmare brands that name a product in perhaps in English, and then they translate it into another language and it means something horrible mm. <laughs> or it's attached to a terrible experience in, in a different country or region. And so I knew curcuma was safe because it's, it's a spice and a food. But if you're thinking about branding, you really need to put some effort in that. I'm sure everybody mm. listening knows that 
There are brands that specialize in brand naming. I'm sure you help with that yourselves. Um, I think often I think of like the pharmaceutical industry where they're coming up with a name mm. for a new drug and you just, you know, it takes, it takes some effort, but it's absolutely worth the effort you put into it. Mm. Oh, pharmaceutical is especially, I've, I've had discussions with people in that industry that there is, I mean, there's some industries that are more regulated than others. And, and, and obviously with them as well, you have so many brands and so many products and, and you trying to communicate so many things and, you know, hit so many markets really, really hard there. <laughs> Yeah. So what do you do at Kurkuma? I am very lucky that I have the opportunity to see what projects I'm a freelance. The bulk of my day is software development, right? That's where I live and breathe. And I'm lucky to be able to look for projects in the Web3 space that are very interesting to me. And the way that my world works is they are always looking for developers, not necessarily employees. And the fact they prefer contract work which is my personal preference also. So I look for projects that are interesting to me that need some help. And I typically get hired for a contract job, right? Whether that's one month or six months or a year. Um, and I help them build out their product. And then I move on to the next interesting product. Wonderful. And I, we I, said, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And then, so I mean, another big piece of what I'm doing right now is the education aspect of it. I've, I've been involved in education for in some tangential aspect for a, a lot of my career, regardless of the role. And so a company that I'm working with right now is their mission is to onboard the next million Web3 developers. And so mm. they have online courses that are teaching devs the Web3 technology. Um, I initially, and, and I knew the woman who had started the company from a previous part of my career. And so they had a recent launch of their training products. Um, I started off as a peer mentor with them, helping their students as they go through the coursework. Then they asked me to be an instructor. And so I just completed recording a, a course in Solana, which is one of the blockchains that I work with. And then after that, they've asked me to be a speaker. And so just a few weeks ago, I was at a blockchain conference in Los Angeles at the School of Business there. And I taught uh, three different workshops on Solidity, which is another common language in the blockchain space. And I really enjoy the education aspect of what I do, mm. um, similar to the education that I do on the crypto trading side of things. I just I like I like watching people, you know, gain new knowledge and see where they go with their journey and stay in touch and watch them go build cool new things. <laughs> mm. That's yeah, that must be very satisfying. We touched on trends on, on naming. What are some trends with Web3 that you've noticed? So for Web3, for anybody that doesn't know what Web3 is, first of all. Yeah, so, well, let's start with that. <laughs> right. So very simple explanation. Web1, when I started in the 1993, Web1 was read only. So for your audience that wasn't alive back then. Oh my God, um, are you, we that old? Are there people? We are, we are absolutely <laughs> that old. But um in the, in the very first days of the internet, you would log on to a website and you could read the content that was displayed on the website. And that was it. You couldn't interact with it. There certainly was no purchasing involved. You'd it have to wait read. for it to load. Yes. yes. <laughs> but it was also an incredibly exciting time because vast parts of the world that never had access to content suddenly did. And so mm. everybody's overall knowledge greatly expanded, which was great. Web 2, like I said, in tech terms, it's read and write data. So you could engage and interact with it. You could actually purchase something. You could, you know, exchange messages and start talking to people. And Web 3 is all about decentralization and owning your own data. 
So for example, Web2, everybody interacts with Facebook, Facebook owns that data, you don't. Everybody interacts with Twitter, Twitter owns that data, you don't control it. Web3 is all about decentralizing that information and giving you the control and the ownership of your data and where you get to choose and pick and choose where that data goes. So an interesting trend happening in Web3 right now is the domain naming services involved in Web3. If any of your audience has ever purchased cryptocurrency, currently it's a pain. Currently it's really challenging. And for complete, complete newbies, which is the bulk of the world, right? You have to create a MetaMask wallet. You have to navigate a very complex wallet address that's a bunch of gobbledygook. And the industry really needs to improve the user experience before, mm. in my opinion, before there's going to be mass, mass adoption of crypto. We also need some additional regulation to give people some comfort levels, but the UI experience really needs to improve. That being said, there's an interesting trend with naming services. For example, the Ethereum naming, Ethereum, <laughs> Ethereum naming service or ENS on the Ethereum blockchain. There's another company called Unstoppable Domains that works on other blockchains. There's several of these services happening right now, but the, the offer that they are bringing to the market is you can purchase a domain that will represent you online. That is, it's a, it's a domain name, right? It's a personal name. So for me, it's jslusser.crypto and I can use mm -hmm. that across other things. I have an, I have an ETH naming service one as well. But the point is you don't have to remember this long line of characters and numbers gibberish. You can create your own name. So mm -hmm. why is that exciting? It's exciting because you as an individual can come up with a unique domain name, which you can use to share to more easily exchange cryptocurrency between people or vendors. But mm -hmm. as brands, it's a much more exciting opportunity because it's the same thing as when you bought your very first domain name when you started your first website. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a it's it's exciting and it's shifting, but it's, I personally, I believe it's a very important trend for all brands to absolutely think about today. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to grow that up with the, the domains, but because I don't know, maybe I've missed it because I got into domain names, like the traditional domain names sure. um, in the past, let's say five years mm -hmm. before that I've, obviously worked with domains in some way or other and registered domain names and used domain names uh, as we all do, but um, kind of just saw them as a technicality, not as a, anything to do with the brand and brand asset. And I'm absolutely like when, when uh, everything started with like NFTs, for example, um, and, and everybody is like going crazy about, wow, that's my unique piece of, you know, digital asset on the internet. And I was like, yeah, domains are there for like it's been thirty years. So, like, you know, <laughs> it's a bit like that now. It's just one of them, <laughs> right? And it's 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 yours, and it's on the internet, and it's digital. Uh, I guess somehow maybe they were marketed badly, or they they kind of. I wrote a post about that. Well, I wrote an article about that where I think my theory was that they were kind of victim to their success, where they came along with the internet, and everybody started using them before anybody could figure out that it's a thing of its own yeah. and we should treat it as like as that and we should you know market it as that and 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 etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah they, they kind of well maybe maybe it will change well i guess i guess two two comments around that so one is just about how important your brand name with relation to a domain is right it's critical in my opinion and the most important factor for me is consistency, right? You want to mm -hmm. own your domain, 
across as many services that are relevant to your area because you want you want your customers to be able to find you whatever their memory retention of the full domain whether it's good or bad right so they want to, I want people to be able to find me at kurkuma.co and kurkuma.dev and kurkuma.other places kurkuma.com was not available when I launched my business and so I chose to not change the company name portion of it and I just decided mm-hmm. to go with .co. Mm-hmm. Now that's still a little bit problematic because two character domain extensions aren't as popular as three, but it's it's not an issue for me, but I still find some websites that don't accept the two character domain name mm, extension. Really? Uh, yeah. And then you know, or your audience knows that there's a zillion domain dot whatevers out there and you don't need to buy all of them. You'll go broke if you try to do, <laughs> but you need to own enough of them that your customers will be able to find you wherever your customers are interacting. That's the whole thing. Like you need mm. to be where the customer conversations are taking place. The second comment that I wanted to make, again, given your your audience, is an, another interesting thing that I'm seeing right now is the playbook for how to market effectively in the world of Web three is all very new right now, and we're sort mm. of we're sort of building it as we go. And so, if you have any experience in the world of web two, there's a huge opportunity to translate those skills into the world of web three. You may need to learn some new things, but the opportunities as a marketer, like if you're an entrepreneur in marketing, I think the opportunity to translate those skills into web three is very large and very exciting right now. There's some really brilliant people doing it right now, but it's only a handful compared to the Mm. rest of the world. So another fun place to check out if your audience is interested. Absolutely. And how do you feel, because we said that the, it would be great if more people effectively translate or, or it's not even translate, it's improve or get themselves up to speed with Web3, with their services. How do you feel entrepreneurs and, and startups in general are adapting to Web3? Depends on the industry, but I think a lot mm. of people, I, th- I think a lot of people are, Many people are experimenting. Many, many people are experimenting as they should be, right? Because we don't know where this is ultimately going to land. And it was different 12 months ago, and it'll be different 12 months from now. Mm -hmm. I personally am excited by that pace of change. Other people can't be bothered, right? Some people like are like, let's wait till the dust settles and then we're going to dip our toe into it. But you look at any brand that you can think of and they're probably touching it somehow. You look at, at least in, well, no, it's globally right now. But you look at fast food brands and apparel brands and luxury goods and music and art and everything, there's an opportunity or some aspect of it to be incorporated into their business, most likely. Mm. Like, do you have to be there? No, of course, you don't have to be there. But if you want to be there, and if there's an opportunity to grow your business by being there, I would say absolutely have a look. Mm. It's funny because uh, we were talking about yeah how how are our businesses uh, adapting and you and you mentioned that it's moving really quickly and people are experimenting and then businesses entrepreneurs are experimenting with it. Um, I just had a chat today with a member of our team who was like, oh, we have a mistake in our social media because there was a post uh, there was a post using the word digital. And I'm like, it's a typo. Yes. Like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> like, no, it's not. It's not a typo. We spent, trust me, we spent 15 minutes and I was like, no, it's not a typo. It's a term. Trust me, it's a term. No, I'm sure they meant physical. No, they didn't mean physical. It's digital. It's like physical plus digital. It's a new word. Trust me, it's not a typo. It's on Vogue website. It's not Vogue made a mistake. No, they didn't. <laughs> I have a so, love-hate relationship with all of these new terms. 
I was uh, like, don't make me utter that word, please. But it's oh, yeah. a real thing. So yeah, we have to talk about it. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Yeah, I, I oh my God, I'm, I'm in France and um, I don't know. I guess in English, you have the, the same type of thing where, where people shorten words in everyday language. Yes. Yes. I hate it. As I just yes. say the word, honestly, I what know. did you say? Like one <laughs> second, say the word. <laughs> and and I have that a little bit of a feeling with those new made up words. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm like, okay, we need to, yeah. I mean, I guess there is some, you know, middle, like I don't like when people are lazy and cutting, chopping words, but when it's yeah. a new term, that's, that's probably okay. Okay. We, we should probably like just get over ourselves and, and yeah. you know, adapt to those things. <laughs> But also, but uh, kind of continuing that, it's also figuring out, like, back to the my comment of figure out where the conversations are taking place. Mm. Um, now that I'm in the world that I'm in, I'm shocked at how much time I spend on tools like Twitter and Discord. Because I, I mean, I've always been, on, I've been on Twitter forever, but in crypto specifically, crypto Twitter is like the place where the conversations happen. Discord, which I thought used to just be a place for video gamers to hang out, and I'm not particularly a gamer. <laughs> um, but that's not true. Like everybody's on Discord now having different conversations and extending their brands there as well. Not everybody, but, but many people in the Web3 space. You just have to monitor the trends, engage where it makes sense for your brand or your product and ride the wave and try to have fun while you're doing it and not get crazy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, that's, that's something that we, uh, which I guess is indicative oftentimes end up regardless of the topic of, of the podcast and the guests that I'm having, we oftentimes end up circling around that, that you, you can't just be everything for everyone right. and, and you have to monitor, you know, who's your audience, where are they, how do they interact, what do they want, where do they want you to be or where do you have to be for them to, to reach you? And you touched on that as well. You have to try and be consistent because um, like you mentioned with the extensions, I don't think you can or it makes sense to go and register a gazillion domain extensions, even though the big brands do. Right. But, you know, they, they like it's just part of their marketing budget. But it's more about, I always feel it, it's about respect to your audience. So Absolutely. You know, if you if you feel they're going to logically, naturally, <clears throat> you know, their first um, instinct is going to be, I'm going to type that and that, or I heard that and that, and you're not there, that's just a waste of their time. And that's you wasting their time. And I think another comment that I would say for your audience is just there are the the online community around all of this in general is a pretty wonderful and open space. Everybody's trying mm -hmm. to learn together. And so I would encourage everyone to just explore online and find your tribe or find your audience and just engage, right? You don't want to, I don't sell all day long. I'm, I'm sure you're going to provide links to my personal Twitter and my business Twitter or LinkedIn and just engage and have conversations because I'm happy to talk to anybody. I love talking about this stuff all day long. I don't necessarily try to sell my services to everybody, but I'm just happy to talk because everybody's learning together. Again, finding that audience, depending on, it doesn't necessarily hinge on age, but it does a little bit. But I would say half of my professional colleagues continue to be super active on LinkedIn and LinkedIn serves a wonderful purpose. And the other half of my audience, it's dead to them. Like they don't, they don't even have an account. They don't ever look at it. And everything they do is on Twitter or some of these other services. Mm. So again, you need to figure out where the conversations are taking place. Absolutely. And that was going to be my, my next question, actually, where, what type of people can reach out to you and, and, 
yeah, where can they reach you? I'm, I'm going to include open shoulders. So I'm an open book and you're welcome to find me either online at kukuma.co. The easiest place to find me is on Twitter at jayslusser. Again, I'm sure you're going to provide links. My Kurkuma Twitter handle is kurkumaco, website kurkuma.com. Anyway, I'm so findable. I'm, you spend a minute <laughs> looking for me, you'll find me. And I'm happy to talk to anyone. If I don't have the answer to the question that you have, I probably know somebody that I can point you to. So that's the best I can offer for you. Wonderful. And I completely agree with you. I think one thing that is very characteristic of, of the web free is that openness to everybody is learning together and everybody's very tolerant to mess ups and to, you know, silly questions. And yeah, like you mentioned, it doesn't matter, you know, your background or your age. And I really like that about it. Well, I think that the, the, the analogy I'll give you is when I was, when I turned 50 and when I decided to learn how to software develop for the very first time in my life, I was exposed to back then Slack and a community of software developers. And prior to that, I was a very type A, C-level executive of do what I need to do to get ahead and succeed. The rest be damned. Don't worry about the week that I leave. <laughs> but in this online community, I didn't know what I was doing, right? And I was asking questions and I could not believe that there was this community of people who were more so willing to help me answer my questions as I was struggling while I was learning. I was shocked, I was completely, completely shocked. And that online community absolutely is still there for web two. It's absolutely there for web three. And so I try very hard to give back as much as I can because mm. that has served me well. And I love helping other people on their way up. And I think, again, you find the right place and you're going to, you're going to fit in and you're going to get your questions answered and you'll ultimately help other people as you move forward. Wonderful. And that was going to be my last question, but now that you touched on age, and I, I kind of want to add one because I'm sure there's many people, there are many people listening, and I can even think of people I know myself who who think, you know, oh, I'm 30 or I'm 40, I should really grow up and, you know, get my head into my thing and and not move and not change and it's so hard and da-da-da. And, and you literally, like, completely, you know, changed what you're doing at 50 and you're thriving in another thing now. And I'm sure you probably just continue to do that. So what, what would be your advice based on your experience to, to people who are kind of scared to try something new? My advice would be jump in and give it a try, because if it's something that you are interested in and it resonates with you, you absolutely can do it. I mean, I firmly believe, like, if I can do it, I honestly believe anybody can do it. Like, if a six-year-old can learn how to code, and I can learn how to code, and you're somewhere <laughs> in between that, you can do it. But it's not even coding. It's just try something new, you know? And mm -hmm. and if you're, if you're able to, I always, and it sounds like a cliche, but it's not. Like, if you can, if you can land somewhere doing something that you love and you care about, do it. Like, why wouldn't you do that? I love what I do every single day, and I'm happy to talk to other people mm -hmm. and move them forward, but just try. Like, what's the worst that can happen? You fail. But again, mm. these communities are there to help lift you up and move you forward and help you when you get stuck. So do it. Give it a shot. Wonderful. That's a great <laughs> way to, that's a great way to end. Do it. Give it a shot. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. I enjoyed the conversation.
Thank you for joining us in this episode of Smart Branding Podcast. Feel free to visit smartbranding.com for more information and reach out if you have any suggestions, questions, ideas, or just want to learn more about how a good domain name strategy can help you build a strong and successful brand. See you next time.